Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4-6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. Wherever you are at in your manifester journey, or even if you are here just because you love a manifester and you want to understand them a little bit more, this podcast is the place for you. Stick around for in-depth teaching, for real-life practical tips and understandings of the manifester journey, and how to become aligned and powerful and thriving as a manifester. You are here for global impact. You are here to change the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. Of course, as always, I am your host, Holly Marie, but today we are having another guest episode in the Manifest and Meetup podcast series. I'm so excited about each and every one of these episodes. I feel like I say that every time I'm recording this, like I'm so excited about what is coming up, but I'm also so excited about what is coming up. Today's guest is the beautiful Kat Kierens. Kat is a holistic health coach and we have so much goodness to talk about today. I personally am very invested in this conversation and really just keen to learn from her wisdom and learn from her skills and her teaching. So welcome to the podcast, Kat. It's amazing to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Yay. Now, can you tell us a little bit about you? We know that you are a holistic health coach. Can you tell us what does that mean? What does that look like? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. So I am a certified holistic health coach and I've been doing this for the last four years. I started my health coaching journey in uh, plant-based nutrition and then quickly found out that I didn't care what people ate. I really cared about their feelings. (laughs) So I transitioned into more lifestyle coaching and now I help women overcome stress and anxiety naturally. And I do that through three main pillars, which are mindset and subconscious work, somatic work, and then trust. And in the trust one, I really love to bring in uh, human design, uh, even though it's just, you know, I'm not an expert at it, but I love to bring into, into the conversation strategy and authority, because I think that that's such a beautiful way of understanding ourselves. So yeah, that's, that's my coaching generally. And I, I love to coach one-on-one, but I also do in group sessions because I think that we heal in community, not just alone. And that's really like, that's a big part of my coaching. I love it. So beautiful. Can you tell us what your design is? Um, you know, what type of manifester are you? And um, how did human design stumble into your life? How did you start going down that human design rabbit hole? Yeah. So I am a 1-3 splenic manifester. And I first heard about human design in March of 2019, I believe. A good friend of mine introduced me to it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I think there was something inside of me that went, 
I need this. What am I? I need yeah. to know what I am. And of course, I think like a lot of people, it took me a couple of weeks to figure out what my birth time was. And during that time, I was like, what am I going to be? I was nervous. And then when I finally found out that I was a manifester, I had a lot of mixed emotions, to be honest. At first, there was a part of my ego that was like, oh, cool, like 9% of the population. That's interesting. But then there was this huge part of me that came in that was like, no, 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 no. You're not, you don't have a repelling aura or a closed aura and you definitely aren't an angry person. And so you must've got the times wrong or something. You're not a manifester. And there was also a part of me too, that thought maybe manifestors are just too, too big or too powerful. And I couldn't be that. That's, that can't be possible. And so I had this kind of couple weeks of denial, I think with being a manifester And the biggest ones for me was really like, what is a closed aura? And I thought everybody liked me. Like, what is this? And also, "Mm, no, I'm a pretty chill, happy person. Like, I'm not angry. And those were the two biggest things that were like, just didn't feel right to me at first, at first. Um, and then slowly, but surely over the last, you know, two and a half years, those things have actually, actually proven to be mm, more spot on than I'd ever known. <laughs> right, right. We've had this conversation throughout this, this podcast series quite a few times with manifestors with um, understanding that when people first find out they're a manifestor, there seems to be one of two reactions. There's either this immediate validation and, and that deep resonating sense of, this has finally given me permission to be as powerful as I always thought I was and, and to, you know, do the things that creatively come to me and that push me, you know, I am different and I am unique and now I have a label for it. Or like your experience on the other side of no, 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 that can't be me because I, I don't have those qualities. Right. And, and it's so curious to hear your personal journey on that, that that was really centered around that, you know how we, we learn, I hate that we learn immediately that the aura is closed and repelling. I hate that those are the first two qualities <laughs> that we learn about it because they're not the most important qualities of the aura. Um, and they are, they do hold a negative connotation, right? Mm. To be told, oh, your energy's closed to everyone. And you know what? It also repels people. So, but also, hey, you're super powerful. So get on board with that, yeah. right? I think that that's really challenging for manifestors to hear. Um, but additionally, that whole concept of anger, you know, what, what was your journey through starting to unravel that from that first step of, no, I'm not an angry person. Everyone loves me. Everything's great. I'm, I'm peaceful. I'm calm into, oh, wait, actually, that is my not self theme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I want to just say that I have, you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser by, mm-hmm. a, by a long <laughs> shot. And that, that closed aura thing for me was very much like, well, that means that people don't like me. And that was so scary to me, the idea that people don't like me. So with that one, at first, it was very much like, well, that can't be true. And I don't really know. But then the more I ended up talking to people about it, I was curious to ask some of my friends, like the first time you met me, what did you think of me? And this is kind of a bold question to ask because I was afraid of the answer. And I was surprised to hear that, yeah, actually at first I can be like, quote unquote, a, 
a bit much, <laughs> which I'm actually okay with. But, but you know, human design has given me that, that permission that that's okay. Because what happened was either those people really like got, got out of my way or they came on board, right? And that's the power of that aura, you know, that, um, that I was able to kind of follow and be like, okay, this isn't so bad, actually. This is actually working with me. And what I noticed with some of my friends who said that was that eventually once they got to know me a little bit more, they went, oh, I actually see what she's up to now and I want to be a part of it. And so it almost gave them a chance to back up and go like, what is she up to? And then go, do I want to come in or not? And so I love to think of it like that. And, and then when it comes to the anger, honestly, Holly, like, I mean, this one's deep, I think. Uh, for me, feeling deep emotions like sadness or anger was lovingly stomped out of me <laughs> as I grew up. And I have no, I, I have no fault toward my parents for that at all. But at the same moment, like, it's shut me off from, from so much of my feelings. It shut me off from so much of like, what am I supposed to do next? And how can I listen to my intuition? And the more I was able to really step into anger being a part of me, the more I was able to go, okay, well, what do I need to do next? And it became really empowering. The more I stepped into allowing anger to be a part of me. And it was hard at first because I just kept thinking, no, I'm a happy person. No, I'm a happy person. And then once I started actually embracing the word anger, I think that had so much power to me that I didn't like. It was like, no, I don't like that. I don't like when people yell, I shut down. I, I don't act out on that. The more I was able to actually accept that, there was something inside of me that shifted. Something inside of me that went, oh, I'm allowed to feel that? Like, wow, what permission is that? And it's been a journey. Like, I even last week had this, this big bout of, of anger and it was so silly. It's like, my partner was so kind and so thoughtful to be like, I wanna make you breakfast tomorrow morning. And I said, great, I'd love that. The next morning I go into the kitchen and my people-pleasing tendencies went, hi, Ryan, is, like, can I help you with anything? Even though I knew inside that I actually wanted him to make me breakfast. And he said, sure, you can help me. And then I got angry. And I was like, I was angry inside. Like, well, I thought he was going to make me food. And now he's asking for my help, even though I had just told him, do you want help? And so I pushed down the anger and I pushed it down. I pushed it down until finally I had to go, oh, this is what it feels like. This is that anger because I either like misinformed him or didn't actually inform him of what I wanted, which was to sit down on the couch and to be served breakfast. And those are the types of things that allow me to tune into my anger and go, oh, this is like, this is showing me how to live more authentically. And I love that. Mm-hmm. So good. It's so good. And I think um, there are so many facets of anger for manifestors to understand, you know, so, and so many nuances within that too, especially as, you know, in your design, it's the same in my design. We, we have an undefined emotional center, right? We, we're splenic manifestors. So for us, those lower 
I say in air quotes, lower frequency emotions, you know, like that anger, like sadness, like anxiety, like overwhelm, those have been amplified for us. We have felt them incredibly intensely and really not had the ability to process that, to express that, particularly as children. And I think when we couple that with a society that says to us, additionally, as females, we get an extra layer of this when we're younger to say, well, don't express those emotions Mm -mm -mm. anger is not okay that's not one that we do out loud and you know for us as manifestors anger is incredibly important so important it's integral to our journey because it's it's our our warning system right it's it's our like red flare it's our red flag it's the check engine light that says hey something just occurred here that is not right. It's not in alignment. It's getting all funky with your energy. So this is a moment for investigation. But I think that we've been very, very programmed into this response of push that down, you know, suppress that, push it, push it, push it. And so often female manifestors have this relationship with anger that is about resentment because when we push anger down, it internalizes and it becomes resentment, right? And, And of course that leads us into people pleasing behavior of course and and into a whole like range of other things too we can get really manipulative with our Mm -hmm. behavior um we can play a lot of games with people with our voice not intentionally i don't think we ever intentionally do that but it's just that experience of well now i'm not getting what i want and this doesn't actually feel good to me but i don't know how to resolve any of this because i'm just angry about all of it right like if you were not aware that that response of anger was really showing you, oh, hey, I, I didn't actually inform my partner. Like, this is what I want is actually just to sit on the couch and be served breakfast. That's such, that's such a, like a sliding doors moment, right? Of you can either continue to be resentful about that. You can even do an external explosion and really project that on somebody else and make it about them, which creates a conflict in one way or the other, or you can use that as that reflection moment that says, oh, I, I didn't inform or perhaps I did inform and then I didn't follow through on that, right? I informed that I wanted the breakfast, but then I was a people pleaser and I offered to help when I don't actually want to help, right? I just, I just want to receive. So I'm going against myself and my own energy. I just, I love, I love that example because it's so, that's so clear I know that one of the things that um, you talk about and that's been part of your journey is the use of sacred rage practices. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I feel like that's just going to be so transformative for manifestors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have my own flair on it because I'm looking at it through the lens of being a manifester. So for myself, like let's take that story, for example, right? Where I'm sitting in the kitchen and all of a sudden this anger is coming out of nowhere, right? And I feel it in my throat and I feel it in my chest. And so I get to connect first and foremost with like, where is the anger boiling up in my body? This gives me a warning sign of like, oh, it's back, it's here. And this has taken me time to realize what my anger feels like in my body. But once that happens, I'm able to go, oh, okay, this is the next step. So then I'm able to go, Is it first that I need to inform myself or someone else that I'm angry or that something needs to happen or something didn't happen? 
or is it that I need to actually go and release this anger in a safe, in a safe place? Mm-hmm. Right. And I usually just check in with my authority, like which feels right. Most typically I usually have to inform anyways, even if it's just like a, I'm angry, I'm going to go into the bedroom and yell. <laughs> um, or it's that, you know what, I actually just do need space and I'm going to go do a sacred rage practice. So that's kind of like before that happens. And then when I'm actually able to allow myself to feel anger and to have this practice, the things that I usually do are one, I put on angry music, like a good Rage Against the Machine soundtrack or something. (laughs) Always a classic go-to, right? right? Always available for you. (laughs) Right. And so I put that on and I quite literally will angry dance. I'll also bring out my pillow and scream into the pillow and actually allow myself to release the emotion because otherwise it's just kept in our body and it's shoved down. And like you said, it builds up as resentment. And so I don't think, you know, that sacred rage practices are the only thing you need to do, especially as a manifester, because we need to have communication. We need to talk, but this at least allows your body to know that you trust it, to know that you're, you're safe to feel these emotions, right? Because for so long, and especially for myself, it never felt safe to feel angry. Like I would think, well, I should, I should be more grateful or I should be this way. And all of the shoulds would come into my world of how I should act. When in reality, I just felt angry. (laughs) I was just pissed. And I give myself permission to go feel that. I give myself those practices, even if they're just one minute. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, I'm going to spend the rest of the day angry. It's like, no, like, can I just allow myself for even a minute to go into my car, to lock the door, to drive around the block and scream? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so in a nutshell, that's typically what my sacred rage practice looks like. But it also could just mean that I'm writing about it. No matter what, what I'm really ultimately trying to do is letting anger know that it's allowed in my body. Yeah. Yeah. And that collaborative relationship with your body is I I don't even think that there's words to describe it I mean that has been foundational in my journey of healing particularly um, you know coming from a long history of chronic illness of you know trauma holding as energy and emotion in my body and manifesting itself as a chronic illness which I know is a very very common story for a lot of manifestors because we've got big energy and we can't hold that in we can't we can't suppress that that's going to show itself up in some physical form um somatic practice was a big big key in my journey and you know I am biased my mum's a somatic therapist so (laughs) right I had a lot of influence coming from that way um but I would love to hear your I guess like the inner nutshell synopsis of what is somatics and how can that impact you know, you've really beautifully explained like how that can impact this journey of anger as a manifesto, but how can that impact things like, you know, our creative urges and hearing our inner authority um, using that amazing one profile of yours? I love, I love hearing one profile speak about like <laughs> details and knowledge. So please inform us about that stuff. Yeah, for sure. So somatics really just means like as distinct from the mind. So it's really of the body in 
embodiment, which is another word that I use in my practice a lot, doesn't necessarily mean that the mind is, is separate, that we're not using the mind. So I never want to think that like body is king. I think we need to use body and mind in conjunction with each other, right? But we've been so conditioned in our society to think up here, to use reason, to use logic. And from a, from a very young age, I knew that that wasn't right. I knew that I felt things differently. I knew that I just new things, right? That I had these kind of splenic urges, really, or these, um, yeah, like this inner knowing. And so what embodiment and somatic practices really allow you to do is to connect with your intuition and connect with your inner authority. So whether that is just bringing you back into what's called your window of tolerance. So if you're outside of your window of tolerance, you're either in hyper arousal or hypo arousal, meaning that you're stressed out in hyperarousal, or you're really anxious or you're really, really high energy up here kind of shaking. Or if you're down below and you're in hypoarousal, it's when you're really, you're numb or you're feeling just depressed or nothingness, right? That low energy place. And so really what somatics can help you do is to come back into your window of tolerance so that you're able to look around and not be acting from those places of, of dysregulation, not be always up here or always down here in, in this spectrum. It's really about how can I calm my nervous system so that I can take the next right step so that I can do the next right thing. And so when you talk about creative urges, the one thing I really think about is allowing us as manifestors to really take the time to rest. I mean, I know you talk about this all the time, but what personally I need to do is to not only just rest and um, detach from my work, for instance, but I also need to rest my nervous system. So whether that is taking a long bath and then doing some deep belly breathing or some, um, you know, uh, touching, you know, what my body, just the coconut oil, whatever that might mean for me to really allow myself to truly rest. Because what I'll, what I'll say sometimes is that I'm resting, you know, quote unquote, but I'm really not. I'm like, I'm thinking about everything that I have to do and I'm trying to turn off, but my body is still not resting. My body is still in this like hypervigilant space. And so Resting isn't just turning off your brain and just going on Instagram or just putting up Netflix for hours on end. It could be, but is it always that way? And do you sometimes need to come back and learn how to rest your nervous system? So I think that that is really important for us before we go into our creative urges is to find that place where we can come back into our window of tolerance and we can really find true manifest or rest, which isn't just the mind, it's the body too. Then when you're really ready and you actually have the energy for that creative urge to come through and you've rested enough for myself, the ones that really connect me with my urges are things like shaking, ecstatic dance, which is essentially just intuitive movement with whatever song comes on and just really rocking out, whether that's a slow lyrical song or rage against the machine, whatever is, is, is um, floats your boat really but allowing yourself to move because I find that the more we can connect with our body, the more we can connect with our subconscious and our subconscious loves to speak through the imagination. And so that enables us to very quickly create very quickly to tap into that creative urge. 
So I think of shaking and ecstatic dance as two beautiful practices to allow us to kind of like just shake out our energy, shake out our creativity. So it's actually um, expanded into the world and it's not staying stagnant in our body. Um, so those are some things that I really love to do myself. And I'm sure that there are so many other somatic practices that can help people tap into their creative urges. But personally, those are my favorite. I love that so much, so much. And, you know, one thing that I've been playing with lately, particularly around creative urges and just having um, a sense of conversation with my energy as, as a manifester and, you know, how far my aura is out and what my energy is doing, because we can often have this disconnect with our energy, right? It can feel very far away from us because it's really, it's it's pushed quite far out from, from our bodies and from our sense of self. So I've been playing with this, this idea of tension, right? That as manifestors, we have this healthy tension in our bodies. We can't have power without tension. And physically, our body is going to demonstrate that tension for us. But I think that what we've experienced so much, particularly now, you know, when we're stepping Globally, we're stepping a lot more into this kind of like self-care, mental health space, right? We're getting a bit of a twisted, skewed understanding of what it really means to, to do things like rest, right? That we think that it's always about release, that it's, you know, if we're stressed or we're feeling tense, we should breathe, we should let it out, we should let it go. And um, I found that that became limiting for me in my personal journey, that there was this, this part of my energy that did not want to be released and I really struggled to release it. So I've been working with holding that tension and utilising my body and seeing what I can do with it, you know, like clenching my hands and um, clenching my teeth together and scrunching my muscles up and, you know, doing like strong strong like dance practices or like punching out right like how can I coil this tension up and actually use it and that has been so therapeutic in in my ability to connect to creative urges to determine oh is this a creative urge but is this actually something that's coming through or have I just got a really busy head at the moment are there a lot of ideas that are happening? Is there, you know, a bit of like um, creative urge stuff that's left over from a previous initiation that I'm actually going into rest now, but my body has got this residual energy still pulsing through it. And I, I think that we need to be so exploratory with these ideas that we're never going to fit the mold that everybody else fits, right? When, even in something like somatic practice, we're never going to do it the way that everybody else does it. Everything Absolutely. about us is different, right? So we need to learn to become true collaborators with this physical vessel that we're in, this body. Your body is responsive, right? It, it's, it's aiming to help you. It wants to help you. And, you know, that whole idea of it, even when we go into rest, are you actually resting? Is your nervous system resting? You know, what, what are the key symptoms that your body shows you when you're going into that cycle? You know, where, where does it sit? For me, I, I get an ache in, you know, my thoracic region, kind of halfway down my back. That's usually my indicator of I'm going into this rest. It's my body saying, 
here's here's the little the little trigger, <laughs> the little message. Are you going to pay attention, or do we need to get louder? Does this need yeah. to go somewhere else, or do we need to amplify this message until you hear it? So, I think at a very very basic level, even for manifestors to understand. Um, I guess like that very simplified version of somatic therapy to say your body, your soma is a, a conversationalist with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's telling absolutely. you things. What is it saying and how yeah. can you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah. And that everyone has that different language, right? That everyone's, you know, my headache might mean something completely different to me than it does to you, but understanding what that language means, like for myself, I grew up as a teenager getting to a point where I would have an ocular migraine and then I would have to go to the bathroom and then I would vomit and then I would have to sleep for four hours because I was raised by a generator and I was supposed to be go, 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 go. And that like, whenever I feel a tinge of a headache come on, I go, oh, I know what's happening and I need to rest. And so what are those cues for you? I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to be unique. And I think that they're also going to be very specific, right? I think we have this notion that the body is mysterious, right? That we, and I, there's probably a lot of factors that play into that. I think that the Western medical system needs to take a lot of responsibility for the way that it's, it's taught us to be disassociated from our bodies and to believe that we don't hold any of the wisdom or any of the answers about what our body is saying, but that an expert with a degree who meets us for five minutes can tell us that, um, you know, and, and as a former nurse, as a former person in the medical system, I deeply adore the medical system and the value that it brings. But in this experience, we hold more wisdom, right? You've been with your body every single minute since you were conceived. You, you are the only authority on everything that happens with your body. You are the most familiar person with it. So what does it tell you? what are your cues and what do they say to you? Exactly like you said, a headache for you is going to be very different than a headache for me, right? And a, a, a key feature in my journey is liver pain, right? I went through 18 years of a liver disease as a, a, a representation of that dysfunctional energy. And so even though I've been in formal recovery for six years, when my body is under a load, I get liver pain, right? Wow. And mm -hmm. learning that I am a splenic authority was an immediate hit of clarity around that. I think when I was when I actually learned that I was in um, this beautiful mastermind session with somebody who was teaching human design, she was also a nurse, and she was showing us on the body graph where the splenic center is. And I said, "Is that along the hepatic line?" Does that run through the gallbladder and the liver and the spleen? She said, yeah, it did. And I went, holy fuck. <laughs> Just identified this, right? That there, this mysterious liver pain that I have had now for 25 years without cause, without reason, without meaning, it, it makes sense yeah. now, right? It's when I'm not paying attention to that splenic voice when I'm not hearing it and it has to turn its dial up really, yeah. really loud to be hit, to be heard. And it hurts, right? Mm -hmm. It hurts me. I, I experienced that as pain. I would love to hear your journey as a fellow splenic authority. What was that like for you 
firstly connecting into that in your body because there's so much physicality in the splenic authority, but also in how to begin using that for decision-making versus making decisions with your head. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I would say first and foremost, when I first learned about my splenic authority, I went, oh yeah, like it just resonated. I went, I know that. I know that I've always had that and I've never was given the permission to follow it. I was always, you know, I, both my dad and my brother are very intellectual people and very much praised the knowing of details of things, right? Oh, I know this and I know that. And I would be there on the other side being like, I don't know, I don't care. But I had a different, different intelligence. It felt very bodily and I didn't know how to explain it. And then when I found this out, I was immediately relieved, thought, oh, thank God. So I can listen to this now. But then it also came with a lot of fear. It came with a lot of, um, you know, I'll take, for instance, when, so I worked in social work before I went full-time into coaching. And when I, for about a year and a half, I had been, I knew that I needed to quit, but I was so scared. I was so afraid of listening to this inner authority that was like, jump off the cliff do it because <laughs> always why does it always say that the dance break right? authority jump off the cliff I... with the blindfold on let's go <laughs> I know I know and then finally I was you know I was talking to someone about human design and, and this and quitting my job and she was just like you know what especially with your three in your profile like you kind of just have to jump off and do it and I was like, no, oh, I knew she was going to say that. Like I, I, I knew it. And you know what, specifically for me, when I finally, I think it was one of the scariest thing I, things I ever did. I mean, my job was in government. It was very secure. I actually liked my job. That was honestly one of the big problems was that I liked it. I was helping people and I liked my, my, my bosses and my coworkers. And that made it so much harder. It felt like, why, why can't I just hate this job? And so eventually I just got to a point where I just had to be like, you know, I did set up a few things. I got a business coach and I, and I did set up some kind of logistical things to make myself feel safer. And then I just thought, what's the next step? Well, I have to inform people and then I just have to do it. (laughs) And it was so scary. So for me, and, and to be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of research, so I don't know if this is totally related, but when I think of my splenic authority, usually it kind of scares the crap out of me. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. For most splenic and, authorities. Yeah. Yeah. So I always think, oh, so this scares me. Damn it. I guess I have to go do it. And, and I want to be clear here. It's not things that are unsafe that I'm going to do, but it's things that, you know, I feel resistance towards, or there's something there. So when I feel it, because I have a quite physical sensation with my splenic authority, it quite literally to me, and I know we all have different experiences about this, but it feels like a little tiny rope from my split, from that center. And it's pulling me. It's almost like I can't, I can't help, but just go do the thing. Like mm-hmm. people can't see me right now, but I'm like being thrusted <laughs> like forward. Moving. She's like pushing, pushing. I'm, yeah. I'm pushing. I'm, I'm being thrusted forward and I can't help it. It's so strong. And, you know, the things for me that, and I'm, I'm not a purist in any way, but, but I, I 
five years ago, uh, quit drinking and I no longer drink coffee myself. And that actually heightened my salinic authority. Like I was able to connect with it even more. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and do that, but it was my own personal journey, which made it scream even louder. And I thought, Oh God, I can't numb this anymore with, you know, substances. And that was big too. That was a big part of my journey. Yeah, we forget so frequently, you know, when we learn about um, the splenic center versus being a splenic authority, that yes, the splenic authority is this intuitive, it's kind of this primal instinct, it is very visceral, it's quite a, a physical, like biological feeling. Um, and we, we know all of those qualities about, you know, it speaks once and it doesn't repeat and, you, you know, you've got to get quiet and you've got to listen. But what we forget is that the splenic authority is in the splenic centre and the splenic centre is a fear processor, which means every single time you are faced with an intuitive decision, we have this double-edged experience where, A, it's intuitive. So we don't get the information right? We don't get processing time. We don't get details. That must be such a challenge for a one, three profile to not ever get any details as a four, six. I'm a little better at that. Um, but you know, we don't, it's ambiguous. It's always loose. It's always got this kind of fuzziness to it. And it's always got, I like to refer to it as like a wispiness, right? It's this kind of like, it's here and then it's gone. And we're, we're always trying to chase that trail of, what, what did you just say? Where, what does that mean? Where am I going? What am I doing? What action am I taking? But additionally, so we have that uncertainty. We have kind of have that lack of clarity, but we also have this hefty dose of fear that activates with it too. And it will always center around whatever defined gates you've got in your splenic center and the fears associated with them. But I mean, splenic manifestors, we know fear. We know a lot of fear and that experience of, well, you know what, if I feel fear, then this is the biggest indicator that this is something that I should be doing, right? If I'm not afraid, this is probably an idea. It's probably not a creative urge. It's probably because it feels too safe. We're not yeah. here for safety, right? We're, we're here to have this constant jump off the cliff moment, constant. And I think that what's really worth noting in that is that we can become more consciously comfortable with that the more frequently we do it. I think that we we get into a good partnership with our subconscious where we've seen enough evidence of that working out that we feel willing to do it. However, we never lose the sense of fear. We never, ever lose the sense of fear, the sense of uncertainty. It never diminishes. And, you know, I still make decisions now that that terrify me and in reality they shouldn't because I've made you know similar decisions before and they've been fine and everything's worked out great but it's still scary it's really really scary and um I feel like all all manifestors either with splenic authority or with a defined spleen really need to be acutely aware of that that for us fear is a catalyst fear is not a paralyzer yeah. Has there been things that you have done in your journey to, um, I guess, have like a deeper conversation with that fear and, and what that's showing you? Or has it so far really just been that identifier of, well, I'm afraid. Here I am. It's time to go. 
Yeah, I think it's been definitely slowly over the last, I'm sure before human design came in that there are, there were parts of me that knew and that went into that and went, okay, this is scary. I'm going to do it. You know, like I did, a, I did a lot of traveling. There was a lot of things that scared me and I thought better do this. Um, I even remember thinking, you know, back in my second year of university, I did an outdoor education program and we went whitewater kayaking and I thought, oh my God, this is terrifying. I guess I'm going to do it. <laughs> And so it's always been there, but I would say that there's been the trust has started to come in the last two and a half years when I've gotten to human design, because for instance, so when I, before I got together with my partner, um, Ryan, we were friends for eight years and I all of a sudden started to like him and thought, oh crap, I guess like this is terrifying because to me it meant if we're not, you know, it, this is a really strong knowing that I like him. And I've never said this. I've never, oh, was, there was so much fear. And I ended up having to be like, it, I have to lean in. I have to talk to him about it. I have to show my heart. I have to, you know, follow through with this. And that was terrifying. And it ended up working out great. You know, we're together and not that, you know, I'm not sure if that was an, a creative urge so much as it was just like a knowing from within, but it, it was the fear that drove me. And then since then, there's been other things. It's like, well, what scares me the most? Well, scary to go on Instagram and to tell people that I'm an anxiety and stress coach and still deal with stress and anxiety myself sometimes, right? And know that I'm a real human and that those things are natural. And those things were really scary. So whenever I felt that kind of fear and it was more the resistance type of fear and less of the, like, I'm going to physically die type of fear, then I just knew this is going to lead me somewhere really golden. This is going to lead me somewhere really juicy. And I need to trust myself and the universe that no matter what things are going to align in the perfect way. So I think it was test type, like trial and error for me um, in, in just releasing and just releasing all of the control that I wanted to have about these situations and just jumping in or jumping off, jumping off really the cliff. So, <laughs> yeah, so good. It's so good. You touched on that, you know, anxiety and, um, you know, depression, that those experiences of, of overwhelm. What has your journey been like with that? Can we talk about that for a moment? And how has human design played a role in that for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I think for me, stress and overwhelm particularly were such a big part of my journey. Like I told you earlier, when when I was in high school, I was always overwhelmed. It was quite cyclical. It would be almost every four weeks that I would get super overwhelmed and have that ocular migraine and then vomit, be on the toilet and then sleep for four hours. Yeah. And so for me, it was, I was, I was used to that. I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be busy because it was what I was taught to do. And I think really for me, it just came to a point where I was numbing myself. Like I would, it's for me, like drinking was my go-to. It's like, well, it was normal. It was very normal for everyone in my circle to drink and to party and all of those things. But ultimately it got to a point where I was realizing that like, this was no longer just um, 
something fun to do on the weekends. This is something I was doing so I couldn't feel my feelings so that I couldn't feel how stressful life is. And I would use that to cope. And it, for me, it wasn't to a point where it was ruining my life. I was quite stable and had jobs and was going to university and everything like that. But I knew that there was something bigger for me. I knew that this was holding me back. And so I slowly started to kind of start to start working on myself. You know, I quit drinking, um, in, I don't know, 2016 or something like that. And then joined a health coaching school and just realized that, that I needed to actually do a lot of work. I needed to get curious about myself. I needed mm-hmm. to figure out why is it that I need to fill my time with, with accomplishing things and being productive. And why is it that I feel this like pressure that isn't realistic? Why, why can't I just be and be a human? And so for me, it really manifested physically. It manifested as a lot of suck it up, a lot of push it down, a lot of don't feel your emotions. And I think for the most part, people around me had no idea that I was going through this, you know? And I think that's, what's really what I deal with the most with my clients is that so many of them are like, no one around me has any idea that I'm dealing with all of this. No one around me knows how stressed out and anxious I am. Then I think when it came to the anxiety for me, it was, um, I started waking up with morning anxiety and it was quite panicky. It was, I could feel my heart beating. It was never to the point of um, panic attacks for myself, but it would be this like overwhelming, anxious feeling of just like kind of impending doom, (laughs) the Mm. world. And it felt very much like I was losing myself. It felt very much like I didn't know, I didn't know who I was. And I was like, what am I doing? And for me, human design, to be completely honest with you, and this comes from a a lens of understanding mental illness, stress, anxiety from, from many different lenses, but human design allowed me to connect with my body in a deeper way and to really realize that these were messages. This wasn't just my body being, you know, having too much cortisol. This wasn't my, just these, you know, um, an imbalance of, of something in my body. It was that I wasn't listening to myself. It was that I had these big things that I had to do and I kept ignoring it. I just kept saying later, I'll do it later when I'm not so scared. And when I'm more prepared and when I'm smarter and it's all just bullshit, to be honest with you. And I had to just finally realized that I needed to listen to myself and really dive into, for me, it was somatic practices that really helped me kind of get out of there. And then on top of that, it was some subconscious work that really also took a big, a big chunk of what my patternings were in my brain and really let me see it out on paper and go, oh, okay, I understand why I've been like this. And now I can take the, take the approach of actually changing it from conscious side of not just being like, okay, this thing is subconsciously controlling me. You know, this anxiety is, is just keeping me in a pattern. So I think that for me, human design has just been, it's been a breath of fresh air of like, okay, like my body is working with me. And I think that's true for most people, not everybody, but I think for most people, we've just ignored our body. 
Mm, yeah. And this the concept too, which is gaining a lot more traction now. I know a lot of people have been speaking about it for a long time, but they've sort of been heralded as a bit crazy. You know, when we look at people like, you know, Jim Carrey has spoken about this for quite a while. Um, this concept of anxiety and stress are caused by a disconnection with self, right? When we begin to sever that connection, when we have spent so long in these suppressive behaviors, right? These really, these really repressive actions, um, when we are numbing, when we are muting, what we're doing is, is we're cutting the cord of our own identity. We're cutting the cord of this connection to who am I and what am I here to do and what feels right for me? And yes, that may be different to everybody else, but the journey then becomes about, am I willing to do it? if it's different for everybody else. And I, you know, I personally feel that there's so much truth in that, so much wisdom in that. And that's a journey that the collective is going through right now. And it's probably a, a you know, many years of unraveling to come into that. But, you know, one of the things that you touched on was, was around using alcohol to mute that out. And I, this stuff, you know, particularly coming from Australia, like we're, we're a big drinking culture in Australia and, um, I mean, drinking is in everything, everything in Australia. It's actually part of one of our cultural identities. Like Australians go overseas and it's like, oh, Australians are so fun. They can drink so much alcohol, right? They can really, yeah. they can really party hard. But I think that that's, that's universal. That's a global human behavior and not just with alcohol. We have it with coffee. We have it with food. We have it with exercise. We have it with loud music, right? We have it with um, driving erratically, going just a little bit over the speed limit, right? We have all of these behaviours that are really designed to make ourselves quiet inside so that we can't hear it. And particularly for people with a defined spleen, what you ingest has a direct impact on your ability to hear what that intuitive voice is so that's I, I think that you know like on the human design side if you have a defined spleen start looking at what you're eating and drinking right? because that's going to be really really important and you'll find that that most um splenically defined people who are in alignment it part of that has been having variations to their diet cutting particular things out of their diet because they don't feel correct right I don't drink coffee either I don't drink alcohol either. They were not healthy for me. They were not good for me. But I think one of the, the biggest factors in this is shifting from this idea of stress being a badge of honour into stress being an overload of your system, right? I, I've been in business for a very long time. I came through from um, hospitality business. You know, I, I worked in consultancy in or management in and then ownership in hospitality business for uh, 10 years before going online. And in industries like that, in service industries, stress is something that you want to achieve, right? The more stressed you are, the better you are, right? If you are up in these higher echelons of management or ownership and you're not stressed, then the indication is and the implication is you're not working hard enough you're not committed to this. You're not pushing yourself hard enough. And I think that we have become so subconsciously connected to that narrative that stress makes us better. Stress makes us more valuable. Stress means that we're proving ourselves and we need to reframe that back to what it 
truly is. Stress is not healthy. So stress is, is not a state that your body can sustain. And if you are feeling that, then it's, it's going to unravel its way to something like anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to push itself to that point because if you don't listen, what other option does your body have but yeah. to bring that message? I, I also think, too, the idea of trust is so important. I want to touch on that before we go because um, I know that you mentioned that you, you deal with trust as one of the key pillars of your business. And I feel that trust is so imperative in the manifesto journey. So I think it trust is imperative in, in all healing journeys and all spirituality journeys, but particularly for manifestors, we have this real kind of crux of needing to understand trust. Can you talk us through, you know, how does trust play into the therapy work that you do and how has that shown up for you in your journey of being a manifestor? Mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the biggest things has been, um, I think it's one of the first um, chapters in Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements. There it is. I was like, trying to remember what it was, <laughs> which is being impeccable with your word. And he talks about it a little bit differently in the way that I like to think about it. But for so long, I, I was impeccable with my word with other people, but I was never impeccable with it with myself. So I would say something and go, I'm going to do that. And then I wouldn't go to the yoga class or I'm going to do that. And then I wouldn't do the thing. And then I would get into a guilt and a shame spiral and just go, I, why didn't I do that? I'm, I suck and da, 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 da. And what I've tried to do is, is almost give myself less just rules, like less, you need to do this and you need to do this because then when I actually make a commitment to myself, because I don't really have a problem making commitments to other people, I, I, it's, it's easier. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, but making it with yourself. So I make far less commitments. I really, really, truly ask myself, how am I going to feel next week? And it's been helpful too. I've done a lot of menstrual cycle um, tracking too, which really helps me understand, like, am I, am I ovulating next week? Do I actually have the energy to do that? Okay. Yeah, I might. So, so that allows me to really trust my body even more. And so I commit to less, you know, and I think that that goes right back into the, like the busy mentality of our society, which is do, 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 go, go, go. Make sure your whole calendar is totally busy because when someone asks you how you're doing, and if you can't say, oh, really busy, then, you know, it's going to be embarrassing. (laughs) And so I've tried to change that. And like, just, I love, (laughs) and I say this and I've got a really busy week on my calendar this week, but I love to have empty space in my calendar. That to me means that I'm trusting myself, that I, that I know that things will, will, will come into those spaces that time and will nourish me in the best way possible. I think that when we over uh, schedule ourselves, that it's this lack of trust, it's lack of trust that we can just be and exist And there's a lot of fear that comes in that, you know, obviously we have to feed our families and obviously we have to pay our rent. There's all these things that we, we, we need to do, but I like to look at it from, from a standpoint of like, I want to do these things because I want to have a house. And then anything past that is really just, do I need to do this? No. And then I cross it off the list and I just don't commit to it. 
Yeah, so, so good. Do you have a defined ego? Um, that is, I'm looking at my chart right now. Like, <laughs> Check it up. It's like the little, little triangle in between your G center and your emotional center. Oh, like the willpower center? Is that? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I call it willpower center. So I was, I'm, you know, still learning everything, of course. <laughs> yeah, as, it's as also, we do. also called the heart center. That one's got a few different names. But mm-hmm. um, yes, whole, I do have defined. Of course. <laughs> Just listening to you talk is like, that's like aligned ego right there. It's so beautiful <laughs> because, you know, the, the ego center, again, one of these things that's really overlooked about the ego center is that it has this, um, this ability for commitment. It has this ability for promises. But the flip side of that is that if you break your commitments and you break your promises, you're hurting yourself, right? right. It's, it's connected to the cardiovascular system. So we have this genuine heartbreak if we right. don't follow through with commitments. And I think that really what we've learned is to never let go of our commitments to other people. So we'll follow through on those, but we're willing to break our commitments to ourselves. And it really creates this kind of fracture in, in our, um, our partnership with what we're doing in our own lives of this, well, I'm letting myself down. I'm disappointing mm-hmm. myself. I'm breaking my own heart because I'm, I'm making my commitments to things that are not important. Yeah. And then I'm breaking those commitments. So I just, I adore that idea of, you know, journeying through self-trust with, hey, do I actually want to be committed to this? Is That's a frequent question that I ask myself as well. It's yeah. very familiar to me of, do I, do I really want to promise this to myself yeah. or to other people? Yes or no, because I used to promise everything all the time and, and went through that same journey for people with an undefined or an open ego. It's a little bit different. It means, um, you know, you're really fluid in your commitment. So not having this expectation of, Oh, I can definitely commit to that when actually you may, or you may not. And, you know, in my marriage, my, my husband is a splenic projector. He's got uh, an undefined ego. And so he's, he's journeying through that at the moment right? Doing his own shadow work, really journeying through this trust, reconnecting to emotions, doing a lot of somatics, learning breath work. It's beautiful to watch. And, um, you know, immediately jumping to that, oh, well, I need to be really committed to this. I really need to do it every day. And then feeling like, well, I'm not very valuable because I didn't do it today. And I, I couldn't commit to it. And I couldn't see it through. And commitment is just, it's huge, right? How can you be less committed? to things how totally. can you give yourself a break we don't have to be committed to stuff all of the time right yeah well and even just allowing yourself to say no to people that you have committed to I think that's a big one right like so many of the ladies that I work with have this fear of, of saying no especially after they've said yes mm. and having that permission and trust in yourself that you know what I actually can't show up to that because I and I'm sorry that I did make that commitment but and now I need to back off from it because I'm not feeling well or because I've got too much on my plate and I need to, you know, and, and that permission too is trust building. It's trusting that, you know, your friendships are going to be okay even if you say no to one thing, right? And know that you're going to be okay. And I think that's a, I just wanted to bring that in too. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And for manifestors, this whole idea of trust is really something that meets us at every point in our experience, right? We need trust 
to hear and take action on creative urges because our creative urges are illogical and they don't make sense and they always feel a little bit crazy and they've never been seen before. What it is that you want to do has never been seen either in its totality or in the way that you want to do it before. So you need to learn to trust that. Then when we go into our energy cycles, we have to trust that rest is somehow going to be supportive for us, that somehow we can stop doing and we can stop working and money will show up and people will still be there and we'll still have a job or we'll still have a business or the bills will still get paid or, you know what, we'll still get important things done, right? We're going to have the energy to return back to that. Trust is always going to flare during a rest cycle. We need trust in our decision-making process for all manifestors, right? When we're making decisions about these kind of like loopy things, we need to trust that what our inner authority says is actually correct for us, exactly. right? That we can have reliance on it. And I think finally, you know, in this kind of overarching theme of trust for manifestors, we, we need to trust that we are actually here to be initiators, right? That we, we do have this experience that there are these things that are, are outside of our control, in a way, right? They're outside of our daily experience. Like some people are going to be repelled by your aura and we got to trust that that that's for your good and for their good. Other people are going to be magnetized to you. And while that sounds beautiful and delicious, sometimes it's challenging that people are magnetized into your space and we need to trust that they're magnetized to us for a reason, for a purpose, that this is going to be really nurturing and really wholesome for everybody involved. Um, You know, we need to trust that when we inform that it's, we're, we're doing it the best way that we can and that it's going to land and that it's, it's going to be received, right? I think that if, if you're experiencing struggle in your journey as a manifest, a trust is probably the best place to go to. Like pick a spot on the board and, and see where trust shows up because it's going to be there. Oh, I agree so wholeheartedly with that, especially just like I like to think of trust as like really leaning into my authority, right? Mm. And that's that's trust is knowing that like my splenic authority, it's going to lead me in the right way. And that's so terrifying. Right? <laughs> right? It's terrifying. It sounds fluffy and nice on the outside, but the reality is that's scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From experience, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said trust would be easy. It's just important. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This has been such a beautiful conversation. I, I feel really like saturated with, with your wisdom and with your insight and skills. It's been really, really nourishing for me. Where can people find you in the big online space? How can they work with you? What things have you got on offer? Absolutely. So yeah, I would love people to connect with me on Instagram. It's at Kat Kieran's. You can also find me online on my website, which is Catherine Kieran's. Can link it below I'm sure Um, and you can book a clarity call with me if you're curious about my coaching and you want more information there's a link to book a 15 minute clarity call and go from there my my coaching I offer a few different types of of coaching packages and talking on the phone is is pretty much the way that we get to know what's right for you so I love connecting with people and that's a perfect place for us to do so Mm-hmm. So good. And of course, all of that is going to be linked below in the show notes. If you want to jump over and follow Kat, highly recommend it. She's got beautiful energy and, and beautiful wisdom. So 
Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of just sharing space, of having this conversation, of, of bringing all of your insight and all of your knowledge into this space. It's just, it's been a joy for me. Oh, thank you so much, Holly. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I hope that my words, my sharing and the spiritual wisdom that came through today's episode have a magnificently transforming impact on your life. If you love this episode, I would be so humbly and truly grateful if you would share it on your social media. You can tag me on Instagram or Facebook at the Holly Marie. And also please consider taking a moment to leave a review right here on iTunes so that this information, this podcast and this spiritual transformation can be spread to even more people. Again, I cannot wait to see you for the next episode of Hunting for Purpose.